So we're glad you're here today. As you may well know, last Sunday was a really tough day for me. <laughs> I'm just saying. So uh, I watched the game at some friend's house, and I then went out to get in my truck, and this is what I came out to. Watch this. So a bird had gone everywhere. I mean, I, that's cleaned up version of it, by, by the way. On my windshield, on the top of my truck, everywhere. I don't think there was a, probably very many places that those birds didn't find my truck. So some of you had a better day than I did, I can tell you that right now. So this morning we're going to continue in reset, and uh, I just wanted to give you a laugh, by the way, I just want to give you a, we're going to cover some pretty really important stuff today, so I wanted to get you a little loosened up before we get into some stuff where I'm going to kind of show you some things that you need to do. How's that? So let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this this morning, and uh, Lord God, I, I just lift this congregation before you and and those that are listening to us uh, uh, on our podcast, I pray, God, that you will take my words today and use them for your honor and for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for just the privilege that we have, Lord, to, to be together today and to, uh, to serve you. And, and, Lord, today I pray that when wa- people walk out of here, they'll feel inspired and uh, convicted and uh, hopeful, God. I think those are great things, God. And so I pray that you'll do that inside of our lives, and I pray these things in Jesus' powerful and holy name, amen. So today, this is our last in the series of Surrender, uh, starting in a couple weeks. We're going to start the book of Philippians together. I'm really excited about doing verse by verse through the book of Philippians. I think it's going to be a great study on the, on the concept of joy. Anybody need some joy in their life? So today, we're going to talk about the idea of surrender what that looks like, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm not great at it. And you're probably not either because there's this tendency inside of us that wants to resist change. Anybody love change? I mean, we all kind of, we, we all are, you know, kind of struggle with those kinds of ideas. So today, we're going to talk about this, this idea of surrender. So I want to start with Paul's ideas uh, as he's speaking under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And you can find this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And this is what Paul says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. So just stop there for a second. The first 11 chapters of the book of of Romans is all about how bad we are and how great God is. And we come to chapter 12 and we get to our response, how this amazing redemption that we have, this amazing thing that God has done in our life, and that therefore is to point us backwards to the first 11 chapters. And uh, the first 11 chapters deal with our, our, our sanctification, our redemption. It's a really, really powerful thing. And so he says, I plead with you. I, Paul writes to these believers in Rome and say, I plead with you now to know the truth and then to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So... That's what we're going to talk about. What does that look like in our lives when you and I surrender to God? It's not, I'm just going to tell you right up front, it doesn't have to be painful unless you want to make it painful. Let me say that to you again. It doesn't have to be painful unless you want to dig your heels in and just make it painful along the way. To surrender means to yield to a sovereign claim of a holy God over your life. The issue is who owns you? That's the issue. Do you own yourself? Does somebody else own you? 
or does God own you? And what levels the, the playing field is that as we understand Scripture, the Bible says that we are owned by God, that you and I uh, are purchased by Him, that we are redeemed by Him, and therefore He claims ownership over our lives. And so now, because that's true, you and I need to recognize, to recognize that in our own lives and to live as, as if it is true. So the issue is ownership. There's a big city uh, lawyer, California lawyer, who went duck hunting in rural Texas. And uh, so some ducks jumped up, and he shot one, and it fell into a, a field, and there was a fence that said no trespassing. And so he uh, decided that there's his duck is on the other side of this fence, <coughs> so he is going to go over the fence and get it. So he starts climbing over the fence, and an elderly farmer <coughs> excuse me, drives up on his tractor and uh, said, what are you doing, young man? And the guy says, well, I, I shot a excuse me, I shot a duck and I'm going over to get it and the farmer says no no you're not it's my property you can't have the duck and the lawyer says well here's the deal <coughs> if you don't let me do this I'm going to sue you and I'm going to take you for everything you've got I'm going to own your property and so the farmer said just hold on just one second I've got to get a drink <coughs> or I'll All right, back to the story. So the farmer says to the big city lawyer, says, listen, we don't settle our disputes that way here in Texas. So we have what is called a three-kick rule. And so the lawyer says, well, what's the three-kick rule? And he says, well, here's how it works. I'll kick you three times as hard as I can. You kick me three times as hard as you can. And whoever gives up first gets, you know, you know loses, the, loses the contest. The, the other guy gets, is the winner. So the lawyer surveys this elderly gentleman, and, you know, this guy's about 30 years old. and thinking, I can take this 60-, 70-year-old guy. So he says, okay, let's do the three-kick rule. So the farmer starts, and the farmer kicks him right in the stomach and knocks him to his knees and, uh, and then takes another kick and kicks him right in the nose. Blood's coming out. And then he kicks him in his kidney, and this lawyer is almost down for the count. He does everything he can to 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 get back up, and he says, okay, it's my turn. And uh, the farmer says, no, that's okay. I give up. You can have the duck. <laughs> Ownership is a big deal, right? Ownership is a big deal. Here's the truth, and this is, I tell you that story, not just to make you laugh, that was fun, but here's the truth. You never want to get in a standoff with God. That's the truth. So when you yield to God, this is the wonderful thing about God. God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. He's ready and willing to, to assume responsibility for your actions, for your behavior. He's willing, when you're surrendered to him, he's willing to step into your life in a way perhaps that you would be surprised by. So what does surrender look like in our lives? When I'm surrendered to God, what does that look like? Surrender means relinquishing control over what we consider ours. So what would that mean? What would, if I'm surrendered to God, what would that look like? Well, I would surrender my time to God. It's no longer my time, it's God's time. 
I should be saying, God, what do you want me to do with my day? Not, here's what I'm going to do with my day. That's something that is hard for us to surrender, right? Because our time is our time. And so surrender of our time is a very difficult thing for us. It's also surrendering our money. We hold on tightly to our money. We think somehow, some way that our life is happier, the more we can hold on to it, the happier we're going to be. That's not true. And our property, and the Bible even says that our bodies belong to God. Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. Did you hear, did you hear Paul say that? You are not your own, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. So everything about me, when I surrender to God, I yield everything to, that I have to God, and I just trust God in return that whatever, he, whatever my needs are in life, that he returns, that he gives me whatever it is in my life that I need. Whether it's good things or bad things, whatever it is, I live by faith believing that God is in control, that I belong to him, and the outcome is him, the, the results are his, and I don't have to fuss and I don't have to fight about all those things. Here's the problem. We must be willing to trust him if we're going to be able to do this. If, you are going, if you're going to surrender to God, the first question that you have to ask is, can I trust God? Is God loving? Is he kind? Is he holy? Is he present? Does he care about my life? Is he powerful enough to do the things that he says he's going to do? I've got to come to terms with all those questions in my life if I'm ever going to surrender to God. Because if I say no to any of those things, I'm still going to control what goes on inside of my life. Several years ago, I had a dog that uh, loved to play fetch. This was a very, very loving dog. He was my dog. And uh, the only thing about this dog is simply this, is that I would throw the ball, the dog would be faithful. Every time I threw the, threw the ball, the dog would run out, grab the ball, bring it right back to me, but it would never drop the ball. And if I tried to get the ball from its mouth, it would growl at me. I think I even got bit a couple times trying to get the ball out of this dumb dog's mouth. And uh, so I think about that, and I think about it, that's kind of like what you and I are like, right? You and I are kind of like that dog that we, you know, we, we run out and get it, and we come back, and we're, we're, we're reluctant to give up whatever it is. That's who we are. We have this, this bent in our life where, here, you can have this. Nice, nice catch for a drummer. That's awesome. <laughs> There's this universal reflex to resist in our life, isn't there? Come on, let's just talk about your personal life. Don't you have a reflex action that when someone tells you to do something, your first response is, I have a better way of doing it, right? Hello out there, come on now, look at me in the eyes. We have this reflex reaction against change, against, against surrender, against submission. All those things are true of our life. And uh, think about this, though. This is, this is what I remind myself of whenever I have that reflex action to try to resist God. This is what I think about. The man or woman who is wholly and joyously surrendered to Christ cannot make a wrong choice. Any choice will be the right one. Boy, that takes a lot of pressure and stress off the life, doesn't it? When God takes responsibility, then I can't, when I'm wholly and joyously surrendered to Christ, I'm in a place where I cannot, where I cannot make a wrong decision. Whatever decision I make, God is in the center of. When I'm joyously surrendered to Him, He takes responsibility. And I tell you, it is the only way to have the better life, the beautiful life, is to have a life that's wholly surrendered to Him. There is a joy in that, 
that you'll find that you'll find nowhere else in life. And just for the record, this is what Jeremiah discovered about God when he writes in the book of Jeremiah. He says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and, and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. This was written, I'm going to give you the context of this verse because just taking that verse out of context doesn't have as much power. So let me tell you the, the context behind this verse. Israel, it, Judah in particular, had been taken captive from Jerusalem. They had, they had, the Babylonians had besieged the city and, and three waves had taken the, the Israelites out and taken them to Babylon. And now they're in a foreign land. And uh, with, uh, when you think about that, I mean, it couldn't get much worse than that, right? Someone shows up at your house, pulls you out of your bed, and says, you're coming with me, and you get take, hauled off to a foreign lang- land. You don't know the language. You don't know the customs. You don't like the food. You don't like anything about where you are. You liked where you were. And now you're taken out, and Jeremiah, in the midst of that, says these words, that God is sovereign, and there's nothing too difficult for him to do. And when I come to that, when I get to that place in my life where I trust in the sovereign Lord, not just God, but I trust in the sovereign Lord that He is the creator, sustainer of my life. He is the beginning and the end of my salvation. He is the beginning of my first breath and He is the beginning of my la- the end of my last breath. Everything about me in between is His. When I get to that place in my life, it is truly a blessed place to be even in the midst of a place where I feel like my life is in captivity. You ever feel that way? That your life is in captivity, you're being held by maybe a health issue or maybe another relationship, a person in your life that is bringing down just horrible things for you or saying things about you. But the truth is, is that when you are God's, when you see that, when you surrender to that, then even in the midst of captivity, there is a joy inside of your life because you know that Jesus is in control. So then the question is, I've kind of already answered this to you, but the question that I want to look at for just a few minutes is, then why should I surrender? Why should I surrender? I mean, after all, life is pretty good the way I I run it. And uh, I'm just going to say one of the reasons you should surrender, there's many, but one of the reasons you should surrender is that it is the only way that I can make it to the final destination that God has for me. It's the only way. There was a 66-year-old snowshoer by the name of Yang Chung Kim, and he was hiking with 16 other members on Mount Rainier, and uh, he got separated from his party, and he fell off of a little slope, and he gets stuck down there. He can't get back out, and he spends two nights uh, in the bitter cold on this, this, these, these you know, low temperatures, you know, horrible circumstances. And uh, he finally was rescued. And when he was rescued, they said, how did you make it? He wasn't prepared. He wasn't, he wasn't prepared to spend the night there. And yet he had to spend two nights. How did he make it? You know how he made it? This is what he said. He said, I did two things. First of all, I took my socks off and I burned them for warmth. That's an unusual thing to do, right? And then he says, I took the money out of my wallet and I burned that too. Because at that moment in time, those two things were irrelevant compared to what needs were set before him. And so when you begin to think about that as it relates to the spiritual life, sometimes we have to empty ourselves of the things we think we need before we can move forward. Whatever that is, that's surrender. 
emptying ourselves of the things that we think we need in order to move forward. That is an amazing truth. So why should I surrender? It is the only way to wholeness in my life. If I, if I want wholeness, surrender is the only way because the only one who can bring wholeness is the great physician. He's the only one that has the answers to life and death. He is the only one that can, can help me in my weaknesses and in my struggles and in my temptations. Nobody else can do that. Only God can. So it is the only way for me to be whole. It's the only way to find joy, lasting joy. There's a difference between joy and happiness. And surrender to God is the only way to find joy inside of your life in the midst of things that are going around you that feel like the world's... I mean, when you look at what's going on in the world today, you know, with viruses and murders and addiction and all the things that are associated, associated with all those things, you think, what in the world is happening? The only way to find joy in the midst of that, the only way to find a sense of well-being in the midst of that is to find your joy in God. That's the only place you can find it. And not only that, it is the only way to have genuine worship in your life that is meaningful and helpful and, and, and powerful before God. And so the question that I want to look at for just a few minutes, I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this. Where, where do I start with surrender? Where do I start with this idea of surrender? I mean, there has to be a starting place. When I think of surrender, I think it's an anonymous kind of concept, right? That means that somehow, some way, if I surrender to God, that he's going to give me a pith helmet and I'm going to end up in South America, you know, in a, under a mosquito net, right? It's, it's kind of ominous. When I think about surrender, I think that, you know, what, what God is going to do is he's going to probably make me, probably make me do things I don't want to do, right? And if you think that, you haven't, you don't know God yet. You don't know his character, his works, and his reputation. Surely there are times when I have to do things that are against my inclinations. There are certainly times that I have to do that. But God is in the business of producing joy in his children. And he's in the business of producing satisfaction in his children's life. And so God isn't interested in figuring out what is the worst awful nightmare you could have and then putting you in that experience just to have you trust him. That's not, that's not how God works. It's not, God, it's not the God that I know. There are times that God asks me to do things that are very difficult, nearly impossible. But he also assures me that there is this power that he's going to give me. So I want to take your attention this morning for just a few minutes. And this is, this is where we're going to camp for just a few seconds today. There's a story that happens in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 5, and it's the first five verses. So I'm going to read some of them to you. They're not going to be on the screen, so you're going to have to listen carefully so that, you, so that you can hear the words that Jesus speaks. So listen carefully. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. That happened regularly to Jesus because he had something to say. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had, had left them and were washing their nets. When he had finished speaking, he said to Peter, Now go out where it is deeper. He gets, Jesus gets in the boats, by the way, and because the, the crowds are pressing him, he gets in the boats, and he speaks, he speaks to the crowds from the boats because that's what he needs to do. When he finishes speaking, he tells Peter, he says, Peter, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out into the deep. I want you to let's row out here another 150, 200 yards. Let's go out into the deeper water 
and I want you to cast your nets because we're going to go fishing. Now, you need to know the story behind this. Peter had been fishing all night, and he hadn't caught anything. And Peter is a, listen carefully, a master fisherman. That's how, he makes, that's how he's made his living. In fact, I want to say that, humanly speaking, Peter knew more about fishing than Jesus did, humanly speaking. And so Jesus says to Peter, I want you to row out here and let's cast your nets and let's see what happens. And so this is what Peter says to Jesus. And this is something that you should put on your mirror. This is something you should have in your heart. This is something that you should practice every day. This is what Jesus, Peter says to Jesus, Master, Peter replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. I want you to notice what Peter says. If you say so, I'll do it. Surrender is having a faith that says, because you said it, I will do it. Because you say so, I will do. You show me a person who's obedient, and I'll show you a person (coughs) <coughs> excuse me, that doesn't have <coughs> to have all the answers, that doesn't have to have all the ducks in the row. If Jesus says it, if Jesus says it, it's just the Spirit that says, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. I was preparing this message for the last, you know, normally it takes me a couple, three weeks to prepare for a message off and on. And so I'm working diligently at, you know, figuring out what I'm going to say to you all when I stand up here. I know it doesn't seem that way, but it is true. I do pre- actually prepare uh, sermons and And as I was preparing for this, I had three or four opportunities to say, because you say so, I'll do it. I understand this, God, but because you say so, I'll do it. That's the kind of faith, if you have that, I'm going to give you a money-back guarantee. If you have that kind of faith in your life, I want to promise you that you're going to have a life that is filled with joy. Because you say so. If you have a genuine surrender that says, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. And I'm going to tell you, it is, a, it is the only way to live the Christian life. It isn't you and, and Jesus kind of figuring this course out together. It is whatever God tells you to do, you just simply do it. And God has a way of stepping into your life and showing you how to do that and what to do and when to do it. God knows exactly the plan he has for you. He's working a plan. And uh, if you'll just have the idea, I'd put this on a mirror somewhere every day to remind yourself that says, because you said, I'll do it. Because you say so. That's all you have to remind yourself of. Because you say so, I'll do it. I don't know that that's how we generally live. Look at me in the eyes. Would you agree with that? I don't think that's generally the kind of faith that we have, but I'm telling you, it's exactly the kind of faith that led Peter to where he became the leader of the first century church. God used him in incredible ways. Yeah, he had a little glimpse in his faith there for a while, but in the end, Peter was this man of great faith and influence, and we're sitting in this auditorium on the shoulders of Peter. So I want to challenge you today to think about because I say so. If he says so, then you should do it. I want to end our time together with a story from history. And this story I've told here before, Grace, but it is such a powerful story. I want to tell it to you again. I want to remind you of this story. Maybe some of this is probably brand new for many of you. But it's a story of William Borden. He uh, graduated from high school in 1904. 
long time ago, and he graduated from a Chicago high school, and he was heir to the Borden Dairy. And so he, when he graduated from high school, he was already a millionaire. He was an heir to all the fortunes of this amazing dairy. And so for his high school graduation present, his parents sent him on a trip, a three-month trip around the world. Anywhere he wanted to go, they sent him. So he took this trip into Asia, into Africa, a lot of different places around the world, and uh, he was able to see lots of different things. And as, he was, and as he was observing the world, he noticed how much suffering there was in the world. Just That, that just caught his heart. And uh, he saw all sorts of hurting people, and, and finally he wrote home to say, I'm going to give my life to prepare for a mission field. That's what he said. At the same time, he wrote two words in the back of his Bible, no reserves. Just wrote those two words in his Bible. At the back of his Bible, he says, no reserves. Indeed, Borden held nothing back. During his college years at Yale University, he started a prayer meeting. And uh, by the time he was a senior in college, he started this small prayer meeting. By the time he was a senior in college, a 1,000 students out of the 1,300 students that went to Yale University attended this prayer meeting. He wrote in the back of his Bible again, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. During the first semester at Yale, God used him in such incredible ways. And when he graduated, he graduated at the top of his class and he had a real passion for missions. He wanted to go to China. And upon graduation, uh, he wrote in the back of his Bible, no retreats. In keeping with his commitment, Borden turned down several high-paying jobs. He could have gone nearly anywhere he wanted to in business. And uh, he, you know, he was already a millionaire, but he could have, there were so many opportunities for him. But he went on to seminary. He wanted to prepare himself for ministry, so he went on to seminary. When he graduated from seminary, he decided that where his heart was is in China. He wanted to go to China. But to get to China, he needed to learn a particular kind of dialect that was common to, to Muslims, and so that's exactly what he did. So he went to Egypt to learn this dialect. When he was in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis. And a month after he contracted spinal meningitis, he died, 25 years old. At 25 years old, William Borden has done more than I'll probably ever do in my life. He had great impact everywhere he went. He had an amazing walk with Jesus. Prior to his death, Borden had written two more words in his Bible. Underneath the words, no reserve and no retreats, he had written, no regrets. Isn't that the goal of the Christian life? Right there. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. That's surrender. And I believe this. I believe the world has yet to see someone who, I think Borden was an amazing man of faith. He inspires me. He makes me want to be a better Christian. He makes me want to be a better follower of Jesus. He makes me want to be a better husband, a better father, a better any, any everything. That's, he inspires me. He inspires me to want to be better. But yet, this is my conviction. This is what I believe. I believe the world is yet to see a person who is 100% sold out to Jesus. I think the world is yet to see that. I don't think we saw it in Billy Graham, although he was an amazing man of faith. I don't think we've ever seen it. I don't think the world, is, I don't think the world has yet to see a person who is totally and wholly 
surrendered to God in every way. I know it's not me, at least not yet. And maybe that person might be you. Maybe that person might be you. Maybe you're that person. You're sitting out here and you're hearing this, and maybe that person is you. I don't know. But here's what I do know. The way to live the Christian life, the way to live as this life as a Christ follower is simply with the same things that Borden wrote in his Bible. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. If you live that way, I'm telling you, God is going to step into your life and he's going to do abundantly far beyond what you could ever imagine that he could do through you. And God isn't looking, listen to me carefully, God isn't looking for super talents. You don't have to be the smartest person in the world. You don't have to be the strongest person in the world. You don't have to be the best in the world. You just have to know what it means to surrender to God. And the deeper the surrender, the deeper the power. And I'm hoping this year, 2020, the reset that you'll make is in your life is that you'll have the kind of faith that says, because you say so. Because you say so, I'll do it. I'll do it. Whatever that might be, because you say so, I'll stop doing this because you say so. I'll start doing this because you say so. That's, that's the kind of life that pleases the Father. That's the kind of faith that the world takes notice of. And so my challenge to you here today is that you'll have no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. And if you do that, you will have lived the blessed life.